Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our collective heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer, and yes, our good shepherd. Amen. I have been accused on more than one occasion by some of the people on our teaching staff that I use figures of speech that they think sound strange. And so I think that this one is very common and normal, but I just want to make sure it resonates with you. If I say the phrase, a sight for sore eyes, everyone knows what I'm talking about. Raise your hand if you do not. Perfect. We're good. Just want to make sure. Since we're all on the same page about a sight for sore eyes, you know what I mean when I say after a long, hard day, you find yourself trudging yourself through the front doors and you get yourself something to eat, and then you see your pillow, and you can say it's a sight for sore eyes. You know what I mean if I say a sight for sore eyes, and if you want to go to one extreme, you could say it's a man who is lost or stranded in a desert, and the, the sun is beating down, and it's oh so hot, and all of a sudden he stumbles across a, an oasis, and you would say, what a sight for sore eyes. Moms on this Mother's Day? Moms who do not nearly get the credit that they deserve for dealing with the in the trenches situations of child rearing. A sight for sore eyes might be the sight of a child finally sleeping and you can take a break, right? I'm bringing up this phrase, a sight for sore eyes, because while there are no end, while there is no end of examples that we could use from from our daily lives, I, I want to draw your attention to one of the greatest blessings we have in the book of Revelation. And it's this. The Lord in his wisdom casts before us through the apostle John a sight that truly is for sore eyes. And so as I read our our sermon text to you, and yes, you have to page back to get to it again, it's that section from Revelation chapter 7, I want you to put yourself there with the Apostle John, who is seeing this revelation, this vision, and I want you to think about why these words would truly have meant the world to him. And of course, we'll talk about it in just a moment. Revelation chapter 7, starting with verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, 
who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes? Who are they and where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of our Lord. What a sight. Most certainly, what a sight for sore eyes. We could talk about all the things that we might long to see that would make life better for us in the here and now, and yet I don't think anything would rival what the Apostle John was able to cast his eyes upon in this section from Revelation. Now, to help you understand why, can we do some reviewing? The Apostle John, the last of the living apostles. According to church history, he would be the only one of the apostles that was to die a natural death. When you think of the other 11, They died as martyrs, defending the Christian faith. But don't think for a second that the Apostle John got off easy. No, there would have been times in his life where he maybe longed for death because you know what happened to him. The Apostle John lived a very full life, but he was exiled. He was sent to a remote island called Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea. It became a penal colony, a place where they were were sending prisoners of state. And he was exiled there to live out his days in solitary confinement. This is the Apostle John who actually had to witness with his own eyes the glorious truths of the gospel. The one who walked with Jesus, remember? He's one of the ones who was present on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Christ in his glory. And then, remember, he was also very involved in the, the resurrection account. This is the Apostle John who with his own eyes not only saw Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, saw the empty tomb, witnessed miracles being performed. This is the same Apostle John who would watch as in the history of the first century A.D., 
the church would come under attack. And the once unified group of believers would start to become fractured. This is the Apostle John who with his own eyes would start to see what false teachings could do to the pure Christian church as it became fractured and people started to follow other truths. This is the Apostle John who remembered Christ but now living out his days is sitting in exile and wondering, this journey that I'm on, it's awfully lonely. And is it even worth it? You see, he needed a sight for his very sore eyes. And God, in his grace and wisdom, provided the book of Revelation. But it wasn't just for his eyes, it was for ours as well. Because as we gaze through this book of Revelation, we see some amazing truths. So what is it that catches your attention? Isn't it the excitement of being able to peer into the reality of our heavenly home? In the opening verses, isn't it the amazing array of people from all parts of the world who have gathered themselves together because being taken home to heaven, they are finally at the end of their journey and at peace. Is it the amazing thought that there are angels who are present and now they can be seen in the throne room of our king? And, and to think of a throne room of all the powers, the power of the Roman government that put the Apostle John into exile, that power was nothing compared to the one who is sitting on the throne. God wins. The Christian church wins. The journey is not in vain. But for all those incredible details that we see and we could spend hour after hour just imagining, center into the, the middle of this picture. Do you see who's sitting on the throne? It says, for the lamb at the center of the throne. That doesn't sound right, does it? Because when I say lamb, all of a sudden the kids perk up because they know what lamb means. That means cute and cuddly. If it's a stuffed one. But in reality, a lamb, a real one, those of you who, who maybe know from rural farm life, stinky, dirty, cute and cuddly, stinky, dirty, ruler? Until you remind yourselves of the significance of the lamb, an object of sacrifice. And then all of a sudden, the flood of emotions and memories from four weeks ago comes right back to you. This journey that we're on, it started with the sacrifice, right? We gathered together here on Good Friday, 
and we read through the words of Scripture as our Savior hung on the cross and as he was so willing to give his life for us in the words of John chapter 1, the same John who wrote this book of Revelation, John chapter 1 who recorded for us those amazing words when Jesus was called out for who he is. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There he is, the sacrifice And there on the center, in the throne, in the throne room of heaven, he lives. And John got to see that. He got to see that, and what a sight for sore eyes, as he was lonely and isolated. It was brought to his attention once again that nothing will beat our God. The Bible likes to speak at times in seeming paradoxes. And it's so fascinating how divine truth is presented this way. But did you hear how that that passage ended? For the lamb at the center of the throne, it will be their shepherd. And so which one is it? Is he the lamb or is he the shepherd? Which we simply say he is. Because as Christ is revealing himself to us, he puts on these different hats to explain to us the amazing role that he fills in our lives. The one who took our sin upon him and gave his life for us is also the one who now, standing victorious, guides us as a shepherd leads his sheep. Do you see how we've transitioned now? How the Apostle John, looking up into heaven, is receiving immense comfort. The Lamb who was slain is alive. And now as our good shepherd, he guides us. But perhaps more significant to this conversation, a shepherd never leaves his sheep. And so as we're on this journey, we can be assured that we are never, in fact, alone. But boy, it feels like it at times. We're never alone because all we have to do is look through the eyes of John, who himself knew a loneliness and a despair, perhaps, that's so much greater than what we've been asked to endure, and yet the blessing of seeing his victorious God in his role as a shepherd. You see, it's fascinating to me that in John chapter 10, the Apostle John writes the words of Christ describing himself as a good shepherd. And now in the book of Revelation, that same Apostle John gets to see it play out. Dear friends, you're never alone. Because I know that you need a sight for your sore eyes too. Last week we talked about how on this journey that starts at the empty tomb, we can feel like we're running out of steam and how Jesus meets meets us where we are at. But let me tell you something else about this journey that we're on. It has those highs and lows, but it also has those moments where we feel like we can leave church united with a group of people ready to take on the world. And it's not long after that the devil plays the cruelest of tricks on us and convinces us that we're actually going it alone. And we start to feel the weight 
of solitude. And maybe it's not a physical loneliness. Because maybe you work at a place where there's just tons of people and maybe you have a family where there are siblings all around or maybe you have children who are running from here to there but it's the, the mental loneliness that, that starts to set in and you start to despair and you're saying, you know, I was expecting just a little bit more today. A little more comfort, a little more ability to cope today. And the challenges of the sinful world and our own sinful flesh, the guilt that rears its ugly head as we realize we're simply not carrying out our duties to the best of our abilities and nowhere near the standard that God has set. It weighs on us and we get lonely. But then we see the lamb. Who is the shepherd? And he guides us once again back to the important moments of his very life. He guides us right back to the cross. He guides us right back to the empty tomb. And he says, you're still on the journey and it's going to end here with me forever. And you are never alone. Because take another look at the throne room. And what do you see? A great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. You're not alone. But those who have put their confidence and their trust in the Lamb for generations to generations, from cultures to culture, of all times, they are with you, journeying alongside of you, and some who have already made it to their heavenly home are waiting for you. You are never alone because you have your good shepherd who is also the good shepherd of so many more who have placed their trust in him. The apostle John saw it, and we get to relive it. And so the next time, that loneliness sets in. You know, the debilitating kind, the kind that can lead to depression, the kind that, that maybe even has you sitting down and sobbing. We once again look through the words of John and we see that at the end of this journey, together with our God, forever and ever, never again will you hunger. Never again will you thirst. The sun will not beat upon you anymore, nor any scorching, scorching heat, because the Lamb is at the center of the throne, the very one who has become your shepherd, and he will lead you to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. His promise is our reality. And so we journey on, keeping in mind this sight that's for our very sore eyes and the confidence that with our shepherd in the lead and the cloud of other believers around us, we are never alone. Amen.
And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus our Savior. Amen.